to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, November 30th. A happy belated Thanksgiving from our entire Cracked Rackets family to all of you listeners out there. Hopefully, you all got to enjoy some time with your families, whether that was virtual, whether that meant getting to see them in person. Of course, we hope all of you enjoyed a safe and healthy holiday weekend, whether that means stuffing your face with turkey for three or four consecutive days, whether that means watching another insufferable Detroit Lions football season as it does for all of us Michiganders, whatever it may be. Hopefully you have enjoyed these past few days to reset a little bit. Of course, that is what we have done here at Crack Rackets. Reset as we shift our focus towards this offseason. So many questions as we look towards the 2021 ATP and WTA seasons. A, when is that season even going to begin? B, is it going to feature just 250, 500 Masters, etc.? level events, uh, the equivalents on the WTA side, or will there be, you know, a plethora of ATP challenger and futures opportunities for those lower ranked players? Of course, what are the pay structures going to look like? What are the various COVID procedures going to be so much up in the air? All things, of course, we will explore as we try and get all of you Crack Rackets fans ready for that 2021 season, but still a few things to tidy up from 2020 in terms of the actual tennis being played, of course. You know, we had the ATP Tour Finals in the book, the WTA done for a couple of weeks now, but we still have had some challengers and futures events going on across the globe. And of course, for you American tennis fans, we all relished in the return of Mike Cation and the USTA Pro Circuit events we saw in both Kerry and Orlando over the past couple of weeks. And that's going to be the theme of today's mini break show. I want to get all of you caught up on all of the action that happened at those two events. And of course, there's no better guest to help break down all of that action, talk about uh, his takeaways, you know, push back at some of my analysis, then the play-by-play host of those two events. Of course, you know him as the host of the Behind the Racket Coffee Cast. You may remember him as the podcast host of the Cation Cast, a guy by the name of Mike Cation, who I think needs no introduction, our brother here at the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, a man we affectionately refer to as the Podfather, joins me to talk about about the action he saw unfold in Cary in Orlando. Of course, all of us can watch that action on USDA.com. You can watch it on Livestream.com slash ATP. Uh, and we've got the chance to see so many great uh, Americans in play. Of course, the young guy, uh, young guys, Brandon Nakashima, Zach Sfida, Zane Khan, Patrick Kipsons of the world, a guy like Will Blumberg in action. Of course, you get Ty Kwiatkowski's, Mikhail Torpegard, so many former college standouts. And then you know, your winner in Kerry, Dennis Kudla, your winner in Orlando, Brandon Nakashima. We talk about both of them in depth and just all of the performances we saw over the past two weeks. I also want to ask Mike what it's like to be on site at those events. You know, it's a tough question to ask, but does he feel safe? What are his thoughts on the procedures in place? He talks about why it's an honor system as much as anything else. It's a phenomenal conversation. I very much look forward to sharing with you listeners. Of course, just a couple of other things I want to mention before we get to that conversation. Uh, just so what you all can be on the lookout for this week from us here at Cracked Rackets, of course, we are shifting into off-season mode. That doesn't mean these podcasts are going anywhere. Expect mini breaks day in, day out. Now, the topics of these mini breaks may begin to change, right? We're going to be talking about specific players or specific storylines, such as, again, what's going on in Australia, what's going on with the PTPA, some of the bigger uh, picture things that 
Otherwise, would be on the Great Shot podcast feed going to shift to the mini break feed now, of course. We also are continuing our College Contender Series each and every week. We are up to team number six on our countdown for our preseason top 11. Not going to give away the name of that team. I will say, of course, you can hear our first conversations. We've talked to the head coaches of Stanford, Florida, uh, Michigan, and Georgia thus far. All of those conversations can be found on, oh, and Stanford, Michigan, Georgia, Florida. That's everyone, right? I think that's everyone. We had an additional conversation. We've had a bunch of conversations. Anyways, all of those can be found on the Cracked Interviews podcast. You can listen to Chris Halioris, Matt Sikoyak, and I offer our extended thoughts on each of these teams on the Great Shot podcast feed. And then, of course, you can read Matt's breakdown of each team on our Cracked Rackets rep website. Of course, this week we also plan on rebooting our next-gen ATP series, looking at the next wave of next-geners, right? Because Tsitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev, Berrettini, etc., uh, they're here. They're here to stay. You know, they've won the last three World Tour finals. Uh, they continue to have more and more success at the Slams, at the Masters events, the 500s, etc. Uh, but we want to talk about the next wave of players as well. The players like the Davidovich Fokinas, Lorenzo Musetti's, JJ Wolfs of the world, who are still kind of wetting their feet in the professional circuit, the Brandon Nakashimas, but uh, clearly already having success and are clearly going to be players to watch over these next decade of men's uh, professional tennis. So we're going to start that series on both our website and here on the mini break podcast. That first episode going to be released an article on Wednesday. So be on the lookout for all that. And then we have a bunch of other fun things as well. So seriously, just set the website homepage. You're set your homepage on your browser to crackrackets.com so you don't miss anything. Uh, a lot of video components as well. Our college contenders, of course, our little four minute preview video, super producer Daniel Westoff killing it with those. So be on the lookout for those. Of course, our new weekly video series, The Deciding Point, the Pardon the Interruption equivalent, where Jamie and I essentially summarize these mini breaks into the biggest storylines of the week. Of course, we had a little bit of fun on this week's episode talking about the five things we are most thankful for from the 2020 season. Figured we'd stick with the Thanksgiving theme as last weekend, kind of that nexus in between bridging the 2020 season with this off season. So think all of you listeners will enjoy that. We'll have the award shows coming up. Of course, we still have cracked interviews with John Michael Gamble and others in the queue. We'll hear from our rotating cast of characters, Ben Rothenberg, Gil Gross, uh, but we're also going to into Mani Cario, but we're going to introduce some new names this offseason as well, some people I have been tracking down for far too long who we haven't yet had the chance to speak with. Going to finally get them on the show. Uh, those people hopefully know who they are already, but you know, I don't want to give away too much, but there's a lot of fun stuff on the horizon. I think all of you Cracked Rackets fans really going to enjoy what we have planned for the month of December, so be on the lookout for all of that. And then, as for last week's ITF ATP Challenger action, I do want to talk about that. Going to save that for tomorrow's mini-break podcast. Uh, or maybe tomorrow's mini break. Yeah, yeah, I know, because the college contenders, I just told you, it's a great shot podcast. So yeah, I'm going to save that for tomorrow's mini break podcast. That's going to be a shorter episode, but I do want to talk about what happened during the Thanksgiving week, both on and off the court, uh, because obviously those last few days, uh, we recorded some interviews, but obviously scaled back the mini breaks, the aces of the day, and aces of the day going to be scaled back moving forward a little bit. I will still throw an ace in here or there when I see a nice day of gam- uh, a nice day of spreads available, because of course, always got to give a shout out to our friends at DraftKings, but that's really the outlook, and then again, you can expect Judson Wall to continue his weekly article recapping uh, what's going on in the tennis world, and then he's got some 
other fun pieces planned, of course. David Gertler, Vance Vermani, and more all planning to get in on the rotation. So be on the lookout for all of that content by, again, subscribing to our website, or subscribing to our website, sending your homepage to our website, crackrackets.com, subscribing to this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcasts. Of course, the reason we are able to have all this content, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast, because of the support we get from our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar. You guys know the deal. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aero Bar, Cracked Rackets. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15 to find anything you are looking from a tennis equipment standpoint. Go to AeroBar.com. Use the promo code Cracked15 to get 15% off the only tennis-specific energy bars in the business. It will give you that extra 5% boost you need to get the best out of yourself. And then, of course, we're all still trying to get that post-turkey. You know, I've still got cranberry sauce coming out of places of me. It shouldn't be. I've still got, you know, stuffing breath and I've still got gravy. I feel like that I'm sweating out anytime I try to do anything physical. And so, uh, you know, it's a nice alternative to that. A delicious Aero Bar, a great way to start your day. Go to AeroBar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. But with that in mind, we have a fantastic conversation ahead of you talking about the action at the challenger level in Cary and Orlando. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with the one and only Mike Cation. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here at Cracked Rackets. You, of course, know him as the host of the Behind the Rackets podcast. You may also know him as the voice of the USTA Pro Circuit Challenger events. Of course, I know him as the podfather, Mike Cation. Welcome back to the show. It is always a pleasure to have you. How are you doing today? You know, I'm just really excited. I, I knew you were going to call me to talk about uh, Timuris Gabashvili and Denis Novikov winning the title and carry. <laughs> Uh, on the double side, and I, I, you know, I thought we're a little bit late for that, um, but I, I know that's why you wanted to call, so I'm happy to, to speak about that as much as you want to. Well, as you and I both know, I'm a one-issue voter. So, yeah, Gabishvili, yeah. Navikov, that's all I've got in the tank today. Obviously, yep. Dennis Navikov. This was the moment since his Kalamazoo title we were all waiting for. So, must have, you know, must sort of moment, must talk about here. Obviously, though, <laughs> uh, you know, you spent two weeks on the road in Cary, in Orlando. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of all of our tennis fans. Was I getting a little bit salty at how much love was thrown your way? Was I was like, all right, come on, guys. Like, Mike's ego's health enough yes at the same time of course it was such a pleasure to have you back in our lives it felt like a sense of normalcy for the first time in seven eight months so obviously it was great to have you back I have to ask how was two weeks getting back on the road for the first time in oh so long yeah no I appreciate you saying that um it was I I think um it was it was a lot of fun just to be around the guys again um I, I mean I do consider a lot of them friends, coworkers, however you want to phrase it. Um, so that aspect was really great. Um, most importantly, though, I, I think just, you know, it, it's obviously been very, very challenging um, here in the U.S. because of how uh, damaging COVID has been to put on tournaments in a safe way. Um, and I, I could see how uh, much of a, a challenge it was for the tournament organizers to put it on. 
Um, so as much as I'm, I was just thrilled to be out there and seeing everybody and, and working again and getting to interact with, with so many people on, on tennis Twitter and the, you know, people who are watching, but at the same time, I mean, it's such a challenge. It's so difficult right now. Um, the players are all very tired. And I, I think we saw a couple of, uh, on the single side, a couple of champions and Dennis Kudla and, um, Brandon Nakashima guys who are incredibly motivated right now, really focused on the bigger task at hand. And I, I think that's a credit to them because it's been such a struggle here for, for Americans, um, to play at the lower levels. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, it was great to see, you know, again, to have Kerry, to have Orlando back, two American winners. It did feel, you know, there was a little, I suppose, the cherry on top of just having Challenger Tennis back in our lives. But you mentioned how difficult it has been for all of these players to play. And the one common thread, I'm sure, when you're talking to these players, when we talk to anyone, it's how difficult it is to replicate, you know, the match toughness, the conditions. And I'm sure for all of these players, some of them do train in Florida, but you're thrown into that Orlando monsoon and you're like, oh my God, I haven't played a match with this much wind in three, four, five, maybe even more than six months. And so just in general, again, being back on site with the test protocols in place with just, again, all of the uncertainty surrounding the event. How did it feel to be back on site? Did it feel like a normal challenger? Was it pretty clear that something was a little bit different? No, it actually, it, it you know, aside from the, the lack of fans and that aspect, which I know has been kind of over over discussed over the last several months. Um, I, I think at, at this point, Alex, um, considering most, most of these guys had played several events, um, you know, over the last couple months. So at that point, like for me, it felt different because I was kind of the new person getting thrust back into it. Um, but I think for most of the players, it felt really normal. They're all used to the, the no fans aspect um, the, the no ball kids, the fewer lines, people, um, it's, it's, it's kind of this mixed bag. I don't think I have a definitive answer because yeah, it's, it's more difficult and it takes more time with no ball kids, but it's also safety issues. Right. And same thing with fewer lines, people it's safety issues so that we don't have these massive numbers of lines, people who are potentially, you know, could potentially get sick. Um, and, and it's obviously, again, I want to just reiterate, it's so complex here in the U S, uh, specific to us and how, because of just the cases and how rampant they are, um, you know, and, and so we have different protocols that we have to jump through here in the States because of how bad it is. Um, so it's kind of a complex answer to say, I, I think it was about as normal as we could have right now. Um, and more than anything, I think it's just a credit to the tournament organizers, both the USTA and Orlando and, and Sean, um, and Ted in, in Kerry, just in terms of making sure it was as normal as possible. Um, but the, the players themselves, it, everybody I talked to, it, it was pretty much normal. They're used to it. They were fine with the conditions. I thought the, the level was pretty good, all things considered, for those two weeks. Um, so in that aspect, it actually felt really, really normal. 
Yeah, I would say on the play front, just to to carry off from there, you know, this is probably the first time for a lot of these players since, I don't know, they were maybe 12, 13, 14 years old that they had a five-month training block. And obviously the first two months of that block, a little bit different. Could you find a court if you were maybe had better access to certain resources? Yes, you could. But I completely agree with you. I think you looked at the majority of these players. They seemed fit. They seemed to have had some time to work on their plays, case in point we can get right into week one and carry. I mean, Dennis Kudla was serving and volleying. I mean, I know he's working with Robert Lindstedt now, but you could just see the new dimensions to his game, how fit, how confident he was. And I feel like he was, you know, yes, he ended up as the winner, but you could apply that same sentence to a bunch of the players in the draw. Yeah, I think Dennis specifically, frankly, it wouldn't have surprised me if had he won two weeks in a row and mm-hmm. it took a phenomenal effort from Christopher Eubanks to beat him um, in the quarterfinals in Orlando. Um, I, I don't think – I had a player who told me before the week started in Kerry that they could see Dennis being, you know, lights out, the you know, winning both weeks – or it could be "quote unquote" challenger Kudla, um, and that's been that's been an issue for a lot of players over the years that I've I've been, you know, I've been involved in challenger tennis in some way, shape, or form for about twenty years now, and I've seen that over and over and over and over again. Is just players getting that motivation. Um, Dennis told me specifically he wants to be top thirty. This was the first step for him being top thirty again in the world. Uh, I shouldn't say again, top thirty for the first time in the world. Um, and, and it was just strictly a commitment to every single point, every single game, that level. Um, and, and what I saw in the semifinals against Daniel Galan and, and then the, the finals against Prajnesh Gunaswaran was really special stuff. I mean, he had a couple of stretches where it was, it was that top 30 level of tennis. Um, it, it was very, very special tennis. Um, and then he manufactured another couple of wins where he wasn't at his best in Orlando as well. So he had seven straight wins, right? And then again, he was in control of that match against Christopher Eubanks, was a couple of times a, a point away from being a set in two breaks against Eubanks. And Eubanks had to have something incredibly special to get there. Um, and then was worn out the next day for his semifinal. So I, I think Dennis has really shown that He's going to put in this one big stretch here, this one big push in terms of just finding the professionalism that's necessary um, of getting through the challengers and then putting the commitment to making sure that every day is that ability to get better. Every day is that ability to compete, no matter whether it's on the court in terms of a match or in your practice. Um, I think you mentioned it, the Robert Lynchstedt stuff. They're, they're trying to work on him moving forward a little bit, especially the fact that he's going to do his you know, with that backhand as flat as it is, he's going to get a lot of balls up, you know, that come up off of that. So he's able to move in behind that. Um, I, I think it's a really good start for him. Um, you know, we don't know, obviously, what the next couple of months are going to hold. But I, I'm really impressed with just that that level of commitment for him. And and on top of it, Alex, he was, I think, 0-3 um, coming into – after the restart, he was 0-3 um, coming into carry. So I, I think it was just a couple of weeks getting married and really putting in the time and the effort, and then all of a sudden there he was. And frankly, I, I think I, I really thought he was going to win two straight events. Yeah. No, I mean, that five-set match at the U.S. Open against Chilich when he's yeah. up two sets to love, You, yeah. I remember thinking just— I was courtside right. for that, actually. 
Yeah, and it, it, he looked good during it. It yeah. felt like that was a match he should have won, that it was on his rack. And, and then, you know, again, to go from there, you only play the one uh, event, uh, the French Open, and I believe at that point he was playing qualifiers and lost first round. And to go from that to, yeah, the sort of performance he put together in, in carry where I just thought the most impressive thing for Dennis was how fit he was. It's mm. so clear these eight months were used as efficiently as possible to get in the best shape possible to make sure that when he comes back on court, he can have this sort of success. And, you know, again, the serving and volleying, the confidence to go down the line in the big moments. What was the tiebreaker? Was it in the semifinals he played? The eight, the really long, I think it was the 8-6 breaker against Golan, right? That yes, first semifinals, set. Semifinals, yeah. Yeah, to drop that tiebreaker and then come back and win the match in the fashion that he did, I completely agree with you. There was just a confidence about him that I, I can't believe any of these players have given the limited match experience they've had these past few months. Yeah. I, I, you know, again, I'm just going to go back to it again. They, they've had matches. Um, mm-hmm. And I think more than anything, when you talk about a guy like Dennis, I mean, he's been there. You think about the Wimbledon run a few years ago, right? So he's had those moments. Um, I think it's just been a, a, for him and he will be the first to admit it. It's just the professionalism, the consistency of that professionalism and mental mindset of rock solid toughness. Um, and frankly, uh, I mean, you could you could say that about a lot of players, a, a lot of players. It's just that matter of God. Look at look at Dan Evans. I mean, if you want to talk about a, a, the perfect example of it, that's a guy who had who was dripping with talent for years, but never actually a, applied it day in day out. And then you know, obviously, you see right now that's the level he's capable of. And I think. Are you going to tell me that Dennis Kudla can't be the same thing if he applies himself week in, week out? You know what I mean? Like that's, I, I could, I could go through our, our, you know, the draws, the two weeks, and and just say that's a guy who could be, let's say maybe not top thirty, but top fifty if they were that level of consistency every single day. Um, but yeah, Dennis, Dennis is right there. I think he's ready. I think he's um, found a good fit with Robert Lynchstedt, kind of loosen him up and relax him a little bit while also getting him into that that mindset um, day in, day out. Um, but yeah, I, I think more than anything, I know you credit the fitness level. I, I think it's actually more the, the brain um, and just taking care of that aspect because I think that's that's been the biggest question for him over the years. Yeah, no, it's always for, I feel like, all of these players, right? When the brain matches the physical capabilities, right. that's when you start to see some really good tennis. And so I agree, Dennis, over these past two weeks, and you made the point he could have won Orlando, what was it, 16 of 18 break points, Eubanks fought off, something yeah. crazy like that. And just like, yeah, in, in monsoon conditions, when you have 135 mile per hour serve, that helps. Uh, it yeah. helps a lot, certainly. It does. And and Chris, uh, I, he won't say it, I don't think, but he was gassed in the matchup with Gunaswaran. And mm-hmm. I can understand why, because it really was that it was actually the best tennis I've ever seen Christopher Eubanks play for an extended period. Just his level of confidence in that match was astounding that he wasn't spraying in some of those bigger moments. He was so locked in. And I, I know Kudla at one point was just like, what, you know, what, what do I do? Just throw up your shoulder, you know, your arms to say I, I'm I'm playing well. Uh, guys just playing better right now. 
Yeah, and so let's switch gears then on the Chris Eubanks note. And for all of you Brandon Nakashima fans out there, Mm. don't worry, we'll get to him. But on the Chris Eubanks side of the equation, for Chris, you know, I believe he reached his career high in the rankings, I want to say during 2018 at the end of that season. Maybe it was 2019 when he made that semifinal. Uh, I want to say it was in Knoxville. Uh, And since then, I believe in Orlando, he reaches his first challenger semifinal since that moment. Now, of course, he also made the quarterfinals of the challenger in carry via withdrawal from Michael Moe but still it feels like for Eubanks on the, in this moment at least and you look for him now 24 years old 234 in the world there was something different about him these past two weeks I don't know if it was the consistency I don't know if it was the confidence the fact that the ball was just exploding off of his strings but I'm curious what you thought from Chris's past two weeks yeah it's it's been really interesting because I, I think we kind of forget Alex yeah. that he is He's rather late to, you know, big-time tennis, if you will. As a guy who wasn't that heralded prospect, I mean, going to Georgia Tech and then just kind of exploding, you know, literally in terms of height um, and and in terms of just the explosiveness of his game. Um, So I think it's kind of... I think for him, it's going to be a matter, matter of... It's kind of the same thing that I see with Dennis Kudla, right? Right now, he's got... A guy that he's working with in Philip Gresk, who's traveling with him, a former teammate at Georgia Tech, uh, as a collegiate tennis guy yourself, I know you know that name um, uh, all too well. Um, on, you know, on top of it, having Troy Hahn kind of overseeing things as well um, in in Orlando. I I think for Chris, I think he seems to understand, and having been around uh, Naomi. I think from being around Coco, I think there is that level and understanding of what it takes right now. Um, he is such a fun-loving guy, um, and not in like a crazy way, but he's he's so uh, effervescent and fun. And I think it's just that matter, the same thing for him of just that business aspect of I'm going to put in the, the hard yards. And I can say that seeing it over the last couple of weeks, he really is putting in that time. I think having someone travel with him um, to kind of handle some of the the aspects of, okay, you need to practice at this time, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that, I think that will be very beneficial for him. Um, but again, I think, I think we kind of need to appreciate the fact that this is, I think, his third full season. Um, you know, and this one obviously got interrupted. Um, I, I expect him to really do some good big things. They're working specifically on making sure that that first contact after the serve is explosive and not just kind of passive through the middle. It's going to be an aggressive strike. Even if it's missing, it's going to be an aggressive strike. On top of that, they're a little bit more um, uh, kind of an emphasis on moving him forward. His volleys are not perfect. Um, he's got some work to do in that regard, but he's going to have a lot of easy balls to finish because of that initial first strike. So I think there is much more of a focus on here's how we win. Here's how we get you into the top 100 and beyond. Um, and I think he's bought in and I expect some really big things from him this coming season. 
Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things there I just want to follow up on. The yeah. first strike with the return, in particular the backhand return. Yeah. I have never seen it look as good as it did these past two weeks. I thought that was, for me, the thing that jumped out the most. And then, you know, again, you, you talk about he, – he's obviously, if you've seen Chris Eubanks play 6'6", six, six, you know, a generous 170, we'll say, if he's soaking wet. Obviously, yeah. he's got some room to grow into that frame. But the movement for me, it just seemed – a step cleaner. It just seemed like the technique in terms of three little steps instead of two big strides. Everything seemed brushed up a little bit. Is that fair? Yeah, I know. I think that absolutely is. And I think we've we've seen flashes of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. We've seen flashes of it over the last couple of years. But, you know, I think you got to this point. Um, you mentioned getting to that career high 2018. And that was, again, relatively quick. Uh, again, considering how little he'd had that massive junior experience, right? So it was just all of a sudden he gets onto the scene. He's inside the top 200. It's like I barely even saw him get here. So there, there was it was pretty clear that if you just built some points up with him, he was going to spray, and, and he, he would just get a little bit lax in some of those those issues. You mentioned footwork. I mean, that would be one where maybe you could. You could exploit him getting him moving side to side because the balance wasn't quite right. Um, so, yeah, I think that just in terms of just getting that locked down, um, I, I think he really has still a long way to go. Um, like there is still a lot of growth that can happen for him. And that's not something you say too often about somebody who's 24 years old. I mean, you 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 kind of know with with 24 year olds. You, you know, you can we can talk about like a, a guy like Dennis Kudla. The 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 jump is mostly because it's the commitment, right? With Chris Eubanks, there's still a lot of development that can happen, and that's pretty rare for a 24 year old. So I'm I'm very, I, I don't know. I'm 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 very intrigued to just see what that is because I think the balance has improved. I think the return still has a long way to go. I think the, the, the volleys still have a, a, a ways that they can go as well. And if those things, if those things improve, like I think that they can, I mean, that's, that's a guy who has top 50 written all over him. If, if, if that level is there, if that commitment to improving those things is there, I, I think the sky is the limit. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You just can't teach that serve. You can't teach that forehand. And again, watching in Orlando, it cut through the win. It was probably the biggest weapon in the draw. Oh, that might be hyperbole. Yeah, no, the biggest uh, no, I, weapon, I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm like looking through here, and I'm just, I'm yeah. just like, okay. I'm that, like the yeah. pop go can pop a little bit at no, times. I mean, no. Mackie's gonna Mackie. Sometimes Mackie hits a forehand, and you're just like, holy crap, how'd you do that? Um, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. I, I, no, I, I, as I'm looking through it, I think that's, I think that's probably right. Yeah, it. I mean, again, it's that or probably Noah, right? Noah's everything. Um, that's a that's a little no joke for yeah. No <laughs> that's a little joke for the two of us. Um, and uh, again, so moving on from there, Chris quarterfinals uh, at in Cary semifinals in Orlando. Obviously, he's a guy we will all have circled to watch going into twenty twenty one. Another player who all of us have been watching closely, and I think it's time for this part of the conversation. Brandon Nakashima, who. You know, to have him playing Ty Kwiatkowski center court was that day one, day two back in Cary. It was heaven for me. I was like, I get two Virginia <laughs> players and Mike Cation at, you know, 7 p.m. on a Monday. I'm back, right. folks. Um, but obviously for Brandon, wins that match in three sets, ends up losing. He shouldn't have. I <laughs> yeah. want to point that out. He should not have won that. And I think Ty would admit Tom that Poolery. too. 
Yeah, it was it was thievery. It was thievery. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I think I think that seemed like one of those match matches that Ty should have taken in straight sets and just wasn't just wasn't uh, able to kind of cross the finish line. And I Ty is uh, I know we're going to talk about Brandon. Ty is probably the guy who I think has probably been hurt most at this level of the Americans by the break. He was he was ready to make that big big jump in March. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's, he might be one of the guys who probably has taken one step back, but has a, a same thing, this incredible uh, talent. And I think it's just going to be a matter of he's got somebody he's working with now as well. But let's go back to Brandon Nakashima. Yeah, so he gets, gets to the quarterfinals, loses a kind of a ho-hum match against Torpegard, um, despite the fact that Torpegard nearly broke his ankle, almost running into the chair umpire. Um, but then comes back and looks absolutely flawless winning the title in Orlando um, the next week without losing a set. So what's your question, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> well, my question is, you know, you see Brandon, and as you mentioned in Orlando, youngest to win a challenger title since Francis Tiafo, I believe, in Sarasota. Youngest, youngest American. Youngest American man. Excuse me. Yes, thank you. Youngest, uh, or first young American man, I believe. Youngest since Taylor Fritz, I want to say, to mm. win a challenger without dropping a set as right. he did in Orlando. And with those eight names in mind for American men's tennis fans, Mike, you have seen Taylor, you've seen Francis, you've seen Tommy, you've seen Riley. You've also seen, you know, Michael Moe and Stefan Kozlov, guys who looked like they were going to make a jump but ended up, you know, having for some reason or another, whether it be injuries, whether it be something else, not yet breaking into the top 100 I'm not asking you to compare specific games but in terms of the trajectory you've seen from Brandon what have you thought about his progress in his first 18 months as a professional tennis player and just what are you seeing from his game that you know you think has everyone so excited about his future yeah it's it's a funny case isn't it Alex I know yeah. you've watched quite a bit as well because it's not his game is not sexy no there flash. is there is nothing about it that just blows you away and makes you say, "Yep, that's a top ten guy." Like yep. I could, I you can obviously point to Riley, and you, you know what you're going to get with Riley Taylor. His ability to just get things on the stretch and power through those ground strokes and control things from the baseline, mm -hmm. you see that. Tommy's movement, mm -hmm. you see that. Francis the forehand, you see that. Brandon doesn't have anything that just makes you say, yep, that's a guy who is absolutely going to dominate tennis for the next 20 years, right? <laughs> but he is absurdly smart. The tennis IQ that he has is unlike anything I've seen over the last seven years of doing this specifically. It is, it is truly next-level brains. Um and that again that's not something you can quantify but his ability to problem solve within a match is phenomenal and it is relentless he can and i think what has impressed me specifically in thinking back to where he was when i saw him at the beginning of the year and then when i saw him these these two weeks is you can see there is intent he was a guy last year thinking back he had a first round or i guess it was a round of 32 match with uh, Ty a year ago in Kerry. It was a guy who was just going to make a lot of balls. And like he would, he would figure out what your weakness was and would try to just direct more traffic that way. But he was a guy who was just going to make a lot of balls. Now there's that ability to make a lot of balls. The footwork is phenomenal. 
and he's going to go after some things. He's there's intent with some of the uh, some of the short balls that he's going to get. Uh, I don't know if you listened to uh, Alex one of our podcasts that we did um, uh, from Carrie Noah and I, and we sat down with people and just kind of talked about you know what would improve the life of challenger players. And, and the most interesting response we actually got was uh, from Timores Gabishvili, of all people, which was fascinating on many different levels that Noah and Timores Gabishvili had some sort of relationship. Um, but he just said, he said, you know, there's nothing, don't worry about improving the, you know, what happens here at a challenger, just get better, like hit the ball. And he pointed at one particular player who I'm not going to mention who was playing at the time. And he's just like, look at that guy. Uh, and he said, that guy just, all he's doing is just hitting it through the middle. Watch this. And uh, the ball from his opponent hit the tee. And Gabashvili said, like, almost screams out, hit it. it but, but the guy doesn't. He just kind of goes through the middle, goes through the middle. And that's what I noticed about the difference with, with, with Brandon Nakashima. He wasn't complacent to just sit there and trade rallies and just kind of exploit your weakness more and more. He was going to go after it. He was going to attack. And so over these two weeks, um, and it, it still looked like there was some shakiness in the game the, the first week in carry, but for whatever reason in Orlando, it absolutely clicked. It was, it was near perfect in terms of just going after what he wanted to go after. It was on his racket now. Um, and, and there's something to be said for that because now you've got this phenomenal brain, incredible footwork and defensive capability, the ability to make just a crap ton of balls, but also now he's got this willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to impose myself on you. Um, and, and now I don't, it, it's, it's, it's confusing because I also don't see that incredible weapon like he's got to at some point there's going to be some way where he has to earn points right like it's it's one thing he's what he has right now is enough to get him top 50 pretty damn quickly okay like all of that put together is a top 50 plug and play grand slam entrant for the next 10 or 15 years mm-hmm. yeah i mean what's look, but what let me let me quickly finish oh, sorry no you're fine what's that next What's that next step, right? Okay, mm-hmm. you don't get free points on the serve. Uh, you don't. You don't have that explosive forehand that's going to be able to finish points quickly. The backhand mm-hmm. is freaking good. Is freaking good. Is that it? Is that the one? You know, and and like, it's. It, I feel like I'm nitpicking here, and that's mm-hmm. that's a. I suppose in in many ways that's a good thing, but <laughs> this is this is a guy who's going to be top fifty. Okay, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of okay. What's that step to get you to the top ten? Because uh, uh, you know some of Dominic Team, some of some of these guys, right? You know, Schwartzman, they're going to be able to do the same things you do, but maybe just a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of that next step, and I think he's entirely capable of getting there. And uh, I, but yeah, I'm that's kind of where I'm at. Is I want to see what's that next jump for him to get him to a point where he's seated at the slams because. The top 100 is just a matter of time. Top 50, in my opinion, is a matter of time. So what's the next step to get him to top 20 and beyond? Yeah, so let me just say, and this is a larger cultural issue, but part of my feelings about why American society has degraded is because men have forgotten how to show affection for one another. And let me just say, God, I missed you. That was oh, such okay. a phenomenal well, answer. Yeah. I wasn't sure where you were going with that, but I'm, I'm okay with it. 
Yeah, no, it is. It is just so great to hear your voice. That was exactly uh, the sort of depth I was looking for. But a couple of things I have to follow up on because, yeah. again, you're watching it in person. I want to know if what you're seeing with your eye test there matches what I'm seeing on the screen. To your point about the lack of prevalent weapons, the lack of, okay, you know, where's the uh, the Stefano Tsitsipas forehand or yeah. just the Berrettini serve, the obvious thing that's going to keep him in the top ten. I agree with you. It doesn't jump out. But I did notice, I thought in particular, the T-serves, the one he's hitting, that ad side T-serve, he really likes to bring out on the 30, you know, 30-40, 40-30, add out, add in points. I also thought the way he was finding the T on the deuce side, the serve looked to be a more advanced weapon. For and sure. You talk about his brain as well. I also just think... Just the way he's willing to move forward. A year ago, he would sort of move forward aimlessly, and you could sort of tell, yes. like, he and his coach kind of discussed, okay, you need to be at the net more. You just need to work on your volleys. I think those two components added together are going to be so crucial, right? Because if you're not winning free points, you have to win easy points. And the more comfortable he becomes at both of those things, the easier it gets. Now, that was an answer to the question I'm about to ask, which is <laughs> I think he has improved at both of those things. Have you seen? that as well oh for sure I, um you know i like again like i feel like we're just i mean there's so many things that we can talk yeah. about here that you know again i'm nitpicking on some of the the things that mm -hmm. are gonna prevent him from top 20 you're absolutely the right the serve is is definitely better there i would guess there's probably another five miles per hour that he's added over mm -hmm. the last couple of months um you're right the the choosing when he's moving forward is absolutely been better. It's still kind of a work in progress. Um, I, I I need to give a lot of credit to Dusan Vimic. Um, absolutely. Who, uh, my understanding is that Brandon is no longer working with Pat Cash, um, which I, I don't think has actually been publicly reported, but there you go. Um, so, so Dusan Vimic is the guy who's kind of you know, working with him right now, if you don't know the name, he's a guy who's been top 100 over the years in his playing career. He's been part of the team with Novak over the last, you know, uh, I think that was back in like uh, 2011, 2012 in that range. So it's a guy with a ton of high level experience. And what he's doing is really he understands that that Brandon has the brain and what's necessary in that regard to to understand the concepts. Right. So it's a matter of just pre presenting him with here's the game plan long term. Um, so yeah, there's it, so much of that. So much of what we saw from February until now is is drastically improved. Like I said, it, spots with the serve, extra power on it. There's a little bit of emphasis added on that backhand specifically. Choosing better on uh, you know when to move forward because that will be a work in progress as well. There are so many things that have gotten drastically better, and there's still some ways to go. But it's again, we you know we're kind of nitpicking, but that's what you're able to do if you're talking about somebody who's, you know, theoretically top twenty or better. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it, as you mentioned, it's when, not if, he's going to crack the top one hundred. Yeah. It it's, feels like. Yeah. If I can, Alex, it's like. Uh, you know, when when we're talking about somebody like Sitsipas, right? We're talking. Yep. We don't we don't say, oh, the backhand is bad, right? You know what I mean? Like we might say, okay, he, you know, and I'm just kind of making this up here, but he doesn't hit the backhand line as well from yeah, from a stretch position. You know, we're we're talking about nitpicking things, right? Yeah. We're talking about minor 
things. Mm-hmm. With with Nakashima, that's what we're doing is we're talking about minor things here because of the fact that he is so solid in in so many different ways, and that's really a good thing because then it shows that there's there's things that there can can get better, can improve, but at the same time, we're talking about some pretty small things that need to be worked on to get him to that next level. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And to anyone out there who wants to see, uh, again, the fact that he doesn't have a we- the biggest natural weapon, how he's going to be just fine, go watch the highlights from the Diego Montiero match, where Montiero is just lacing forehands. And Brandon's like, all right, don't worry. When I track down this ball, I'm going to slice it down. I'm going to get the ball back to neutral, or I'm going to take that ball early, go down the line, and move in, because I clearly can't give you any more time. And it's just, yeah, it's it's the entire tool, you know, the toolbox. He's got yeah. Every, you know, he checks off every box you're looking for. Honestly, in a way that maybe Taylor, Riley, Tommy, Francis, they all have incredible skill sets, but Brandon can just do a little bit of everything. And yeah, I think that's really, right. really exciting. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, Alex. It's just this this ability to be comprehensive. Um, and again, that's not sexy. Um, <laughs> that's just not sexy, but at the same time, it's going to be so effective. It's going to win him titles in the future. Um, mm-hmm. it was kind of crazy to think about this was the first one for him. Um, because I, yeah. I think we've all kind of known the talent level over the last couple of years. Um, but it's, he's going to win titles over the next couple of years. He's going to be a consistent performer. He's going to be a tough, tough out for many, many years in grand slams. I, I don't know what else you want to say, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I feel horrible. Horrible. That's such a lie. I feel incredible for Brandon. Um, But I feel it was just funny to me, I suppose. That's how I'm feeling. Who knows what I'm feeling nowadays? Laughter, fatigue, sadness. All of the emotions are filtering yeah, sure. through on a day by day. What does Jimmy V say? You got to laugh. You got to be brought to tears. Now that's a good day. Um, But anyways, you look at uh, just all of these. Di- I mean, it's just. It's just incredible. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. You look at the way he played Alex Zverev in that U.S. Open, and I just think Brandon's got the game where he's going to rise to the level of competition every time. It's the better his opponent, the better he plays, because there's just no discernible weakness, and it just leads to really fun tennis, in my opinion, from an aesthetic uh, perspective as well. But, you know, we will hopefully have plenty more time to talk about Brandon in the future. I'm going to go rapid fire here with a couple of guys down the home stretch who caught my eye. Uh, and the one I have to start with, and I'm not going to lie, I sent this hot take, and it's hot. It's sizzling. It's coming your way, Mike. And it oh is that in five years, it's actually going to be the Spider Man and not Brandon Nakashima, who's the highest ranked. Not, maybe not the highest ranked, but is going to be the young American male who everyone is so excited about. And watching 17-year-old Zach Spida, who, as a reminder for our listeners, was the 2019 Kalamazoo champion and probably won that event at like five foot eight. He then goes to the U.S. Open, gives Lorenzi. I think he lost that match in five sets in the first round, but was so exciting. He then comes out to Orlando. I think he lost, or I think he won his first round match. Then ended up losing the second round, or maybe he, or yeah, beats Brandon Holtz, lose in three to Dimitri Popko. But Mike, watching this fight, a man, he looked three to four inches taller and just. Every, much like Brandon, I, I don't see the weaknesses. I see the improving power. I just see such a big growth curve ahead of him. I am all in on Spider-Man. What say you? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> no pressure here. Wow. Um, I don't see it yet. Okay. 
Um, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Um, I, I, I think with Brandon Nakashima, it's like automatically just put him in. Yeah. With Svida, I, I have some real concerns about just his ability to grow in the right way. Um, I, I think he, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's nothing like really wrong. I, I, I will, I have real concerns about his body. Um, I, 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 I personally wanted him to go to college because of the fact that it would be, it would give him time to work on the strength and conditioning and get a lot of match wins. I, I think I come from Alex. I'm, I am, I'm 82 years old. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen a lot of players who are like Zach Svida, who are really good juniors, and they don't necessarily have that that body type that that allows it to become easy, right? And I've seen a lot of players who are 17 go pro, and they lose a lot of matches, and it sucks, and it's hard, and I I've seen enough players like. Svida, who fail because of the difficulty of it, because of the difficulty of the task of getting your body stronger while being on the road, while losing a lot of matches. Now, I'm going to take nothing away from him because you're right. I, the, I It had been a year. I went back and checked. It had been a year since I saw him. There is distinct growth. I mean, that doesn't look like a last year. It, I, I looked at him and I was just, I, I exactly this. He's still really, really young and there needs to be a lot of physical development for him to be a success. It is absolutely 100% possible. I think there are a lot more question marks for him than there are for somebody like Nakashima because of the fact he's not going to have a, a year in the next couple of years where he wins a lot of matches. I have seen that break people. His physical development needs, it's gonna take a lot of work. It's entirely possible, but I've also seen that break people. All of that is to say, your hot take has a hell of a lot of questions and he, he may be able to do it. I think it's entirely possible because everything I've heard about him is he is an incredibly hard worker, very dedicated. Nobody's had any questions about any of those aspects. So I think it's entirely possible. But he's re, he, that body has to come a long way because the, the Popko is a guy who doesn't take advantage of short balls. Dimitri, Dimitri Popko is a guy who he should have won that match two and two. Because the second serve is, I mean, I, I actually got texts from players just saying, how the hell is Popko not winning this with Zvida serving 75 miles an hour second serves? I, I think he can absolutely do it. I just have more questions than you do. And I, I think he is a kid who can solve them. But it, you know, jury is going to be out for a, a couple of years and it's going to be a really tough couple of years for him to overcome mentally the the losing a lot and and dealing with getting over the, the weakness of that body for now. Yeah. 
But to your point, I and I I appreciate the context you had because you're right. How many times have you seen just ball machines who look like they just don't have a flaw, that their floor yep. as a player is going to be so high, and yet that lack of a natural weapon ultimately prevents them from dropping or jumping into the top 150, top 100, ascending up the rankings. And the thing for me about the Spider-Man that has me so excited, A, best branding opportunity tennis has seen sure. in years uh, with that, but B... You know, the second serve, yeah, it's it's a hang, you know, it's a sitting duck. It is just begging to have someone smack a forehand or a backhand down the line and take control of the point. But they're just the physical profile of Spida, I think he moves extraordinarily well. And then Agreed. I think for a skinny guy, there's some pretty good pop on that ball. It reminds me, it's not quite the sort of athlete that a 17, 18 year old Tommy Paul was, but it's only a degree or two shorter. Like he is, he's clearly, he's gifted, clearly. Uh, yeah, I, I, yes, I think you might be reaching a little bit. Yeah. Um, if I'm being perfectly honest, um, I, I, yes. And it's gonna have to it's gonna have to get better because yes. I, I I think you again you're rock solid and when you have a massive crowd in front of you at the U.S. Open and they're pushing you against a guy in Paolo Lorenzi who just makes a ton of balls that's one thing mm-hmm. he's gonna have to earn it at the futures mm-hmm. um, and and that's gonna be hard that's gonna be really flipping hard mentally so I I just hope for him that he has the right team around him to really keep him in the right mindset because that is that's going to be my biggest question to be perfectly honest with you Alex he has to have a great team around him because he's going to suffer mm-hmm. there are yeah. very few 17 year olds who can successfully navigate futures and challengers without big weapons he's going to suffer a bit his team has to keep him motivated and keep him focused because otherwise I, you know, it's going to be a really tough road. Yeah, and I, I think to your point, because I've heard similar things, everything you hear about Zach Sfida is that he wants it, is that he is yep, going 100%. to work. 100%. Yeah, that he will be, you know, do everything as, as in his power to maximize his physical capabilities, and considering yeah. that's the biggest question mark, uh, yeah, that is definitely a huge positive about sure. him. Um, I do, you know, I also feel like after, because I'm still wounded, I suppose, from, and we'll call him Kevin Stoslov, from my Kevin Stoslov mm-hmm. days, where I'm just like how are you not top 50 yet come on what's going on here um i do worry about that similar physical profiles and that they're not the biggest guy and they do a lot of different things but uh it is just something to think about um all right one other generation i want to ask you about quickly uh before we go two guys i know are near and dear to your hearts are near and dear to your podcast partners hearts near to mine as well uh that's two of the 94s in our life bjorn for tangelo mitchell kruger are they 93s maybe even who freaking knows at this point but uh two guys who have been just you know day in day out uh, on the grind at the challenger level have both come close to getting to that point where they're you know they're in slam main draws they qualify for a slam but they can't do it consecutively and they keep getting closer and closer and then it's an injury bug here or a global pandemic there that seems to slow them down and yet watching Bjorn play Jack Sock in that first set in carry and I know you were tweeting about how high the level was yeah it was really good there then Mitchell makes the the semifinal in Orlando. 
I still believe. I am still a believer in Team Kruger for Tangelo. I'm just curious what you think for them heading into 2021. Because unequivocally now, I mean, you see Kipsons and the Zane Cons and the Svidas of the world. I mean, Kudla, Kruger for Tangelo. Those are the veterans now of the ATP Challenger and of a uh, tour and of American men's tennis. Curious what you thought of their performance. Yeah, Bjorn's going to have a, if for him, a lot of it is health. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the foot injury he suffered last year was frankly pretty devastating. Um, you know, we talked to him on the podcast, our podcast, and mm-hmm. he, you know, he really thought he was done, like done, done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, Bjorn is a guy who I think is top. He is like, again, kind of plug and play, like in that 100 ish range, um, for him, it's going to be a matter of kind of solving that that forehand, breaking down some of the bigger moments, getting a little too wristy. Um, but I, I know he's starting to work with Eric Nunez. He firmly believes in him. He's also working uh, with Rodney Marshall, who has been kind of the fitness guru for Madison Keys over the last several years. And they are really putting together a lot of effort on the fitness for him. I, I'm I've always been a b- big believer in Bjorn um, and I think it's just a matter of time for him and if he can stay healthy he's going to be a guy I don't know I, I think he's kind of hit that point where he understands he's not going to be maybe top 20 top 30 um, and that comes to players that uh, you know for a lot of players at that point this point in their career um, but I, I think he's very determined if he can stay healthy and I think he will reach a career high within the next year and a half mm-hmm. Mitch um Mitch started working with David O'Hare. Um, and I know I talked about that quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm really curious with Mitch as well. Um, because I think his, his backhand has always been so good, like genuinely elite level. Um, and he is, he's kind of gone through these stretches of ups and downs with different coaches. And I'm, I think he needs a stable coach. Like if, if you got him into a stable situation for a period of time, because it's been kind of off and on of six months here, six months there. And uh, we could go into the, you know, how the USTA five years ago did all of their coaching. And I think Mitch kind of got overlooked for several years. And I think that ended up hurting him more than anything else. Um, so I think it's taken him longer to get here. But Mitch is a guy, and I firmly believe this, if he is with a stable coach for a period of time, I think there is genuinely, there's been consistently good growth when he starts working with somebody who believes in him. Um, It's, I I don't know if David O'Hare is the guy. I, I, I don't know. Dave has only been coaching for a very short period of time. I know him. I like him a lot. He's a really great guy. Um, uh, but it, you know, if, if that's a relationship that can work, I, I, I'm a firm believer in it because that backhand is so good. It's such a weapon and it, you've seen that Mitch has wins over, I mean, yes, it's Benoit pair, yeah. but it's Benoit <laughs> pair, right? Yeah. So, so like he, he's capable of doing it. I, I think for him, he needs stability. Um, I, he's getting married next week. I think that will be a, a positive for him. I think if he can lock up working with David O'Hare for a longer period of time and they get into a good groove, 
I'm a believer in him as well to reach a career high in the next year or so. I think both of them have gotten to that point that you, you kind of spoke about. They are the veterans now. Um, Bjorn said it to me at one point. We were we were at dinner one time just sitting outside, and he said, you know, I, I, when I came up, it was Smichek and those guys, and now now I'm that guy. Um, so I, I believe in both of them that they kind of hit that point where they can say, I can't keep doing this for forever. Mm-hmm. It's now or never, um, and both of them have committed to new coaches. Both of them have committed to fitness, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see new career highs for either one of them this year and a, next year and a half. Yeah, I mean, when you watch a guy like a Kruger or a Fratangelo or even a Mikhail Torpegard, right, who comes out of college at 23, yeah. 24, and just physically what all three of them can do, you see all the components. It's just a forehand error here, a double yeah. fault there, whatever it may be, one bad set of tennis, and... Yeah, that's the difference between being top 100 and not right now. The margins are so thin between all of these players. And, of course, look, I could ask you about each and every guy in the draw. We could do two hours of podcasting here. But I want to, you know, I want to end with this question because, obviously— there is so much uncertainty heading into 2021, and we can talk about the perspective, the future for all of these different players. It's not going to matter if they don't have events to play. And to your point, right. I know this is something you and Noah have talked about consistently and repeatedly, not just yeah. in the midst of a global pandemic, but even in 2019 or you know, immediately when we learned that Oracle was pulling out of the Challenger yeah. Tour. What does that mean for Challenger opportunities you know, heading into 2021, what are you hearing about what the schedule may look like? Does it look like things are going to start on time? And then part two of that question, having gotten to experience two weeks of challenger events, I know you have some incentive in it, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. Did you feel safe? Like, is it I, because that's a, I feel like that's a legitimate question as a yeah, commentator sure. at the event. Did you feel safe with it happening? Do you think it's something that can be repeated across the globe for these players? It's a great question. Um, okay, let me let me start with the first part um, and then get to get to that. Um, number one, um, in terms of the schedule, everything is up in the air. <laughs> Literally everything is up in the air. I know you follow, obviously, and we all do. We're following what's going on with the Australian Open. Um, I, I I I have I have been talked to about what's happening first quarter um, in terms of the challenger level. Um, I'm not able to divulge it. Um, I, I can tell you simply that the USTA is working their ass off right now to make sure that opportunities are there. Um, everybody is waiting to see what happens with Australia. Everybody is. I don't think we're going to get a second quarter situation until we find out a little bit more with where we're at with the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, I... This is where having so many different, whatever metaphor you want to use, cooks in the kitchen, whatever, <laughs> this is, can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely. It's fucked. It's absolutely <laughs> fucked. We have so many different people who are making different decisions here. Uh, ATP, WTA, Australian Open, US Open, every single different tournament director is trying to make sure that they are taken care of. I understand why. I totally get it, right? But we're at this point where, frankly, the players are the ones who are getting screwed the most because they're losing more and more opportunities. They're obviously they're going to be losing. Um, you know, we, we've talked about what the prize money is going to be. Is going to be decreased next year. 
there needs to be some sort of comprehensive plan to help get this taken care of. Because frankly, the futures and the challengers are the ones that are going to get screwed the most. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw what it, I'm going to get to your point about the safety thing, I promise. But <laughs> I, I saw how hard it was, especially here in the States, especially here in the States, to put on a tournament safely. In, in other countries, I understand that they're doing it and they're able to have some fans because their rates are so much lower. We have obviously, the, the, the disease is rampant here in the U.S. It is a, it, it's a monstrosity in terms of how we're handling it and coping with it. Did I feel safe? Uh, God, I have so many things I want to say about this. Um, <laughs> I, I can just say, I can say that there's nothing set with the schedule here in the U.S., the fact that Oracle pulled out was devastating. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not a lot of funding coming from the ATP right now to help make sure that futures and challengers are taken care of, and that's devastating. Um, so you are, at this point, you're putting a lot of pressure, and this is worldwide, you're putting a lot of pressure on tournament directors at futures and challengers to come up with sponsorship money. Mm-hmm. In a time when the global economy is struggling, at, I think is a nice way of putting it. <laughs> so you're putting a hell of a lot of stress on local tournament organizers and and national federations to put together these events, and that's asking a flipping lot from you know if you're if you're talking about at the ATP or WTA level and saying you want these you know stars of the future to come up and have this opportunity but you're not really putting in the necessary money when they desperately need it, then you have some real questions. So I, I can just, let me just put in this plug here. Cause I know so many of both my listeners and your listeners are American based or us based, right? Mm-hmm. This is a moment where if you have the opportunity to get involved, you know that there's a futures event or a challenger event anywhere in your area. If you have the opportunity to step forth and say, I I can help you find some sponsors. I can help you find some money to put on this event so that your event stays healthy. Do it. This is the time, you know, to step up and and be that supporter of tennis that they desperately need at the lower levels. Because, again, the economy in tennis is, is struggling. The USTA obviously had to make so many cuts last year, and it sucks. It sucks. And then Oracle pulling out sucks. So this is that moment. If you have the opportunity and know people who can help events in your area, reach out because worldwide, we're going to need it at those lower levels. Now, to you, go ahead. Do you have a follow-up before I get to no. the safety question? Well, I was going to say just even beyond that, I think something – and again, this is something you and Noah have discussed as well. And it just has been put a premium on whether it's just all of the negotiating of – getting, you know, to a relief out to players, which, you know, which tennis federations are offering money to which sort of people, what the LTA was able to do without Wimbledon, all of these different things. And then, of course, down the home stretch, you have Alex Zverev and, you know, the accusations he faces of both physical and emotional abuse in his former relationship and just the lack of protocol in place. I feel like the fact that there is no collective bargaining agreement, no unified body of coherent, you know, players to negotiate with these tours, uh, to quote you, it's 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 just horrible. Yeah. Like it's yes. been exposed as the joke that it is more and more over these past 
three and four months. And it's something you and Noah have talked about forever. And it's just, I, I can only imagine how frustrating it must be from your perspective. Yeah, it's it's really hard. Uh, the, the You know, again, another podcast for the future, the PTPA <laughs> and all of that, right? And what, mm -hmm. what needs to happen here. But again, I, I just am going to go back to it. This players and tournaments at these lower levels, Alex, desperately need help. And that there's not a structure in place right now or there never was over those six months to really help out those tournaments and players at the lowest levels was frustrating. Just ultimately frustrating because I have, I, like, like I said at the outset, so many of these players that I've gotten to know are friends, coworkers. I, I mean, my daughter, who's six years old, I, I she calls Jamie Loeb from time to time, <laughs> Be, you know, and, and like she she calls Noah from time to time because these are uh, these are relationships that I've been lucky, lucky, lucky to make over the last couple of years. And these people are all hurting. These people have so much uncertainty, and we all do. It is just so frustrating to think that there are people up at the top who we haven't done enough to pr present an organized, comprehensive plan for how we can help get these lower level events through. The The idea has been, let's get the, the biggest ones going and then we'll figure out the rest, right? Okay, we've gotten the biggest ones going. Where's the help? Where, where are we at with this? Because I gotta tell you, there's gonna be, again, not just US-based, but I think worldwide there are going to be a lot of challengers and futures that don't happen in 2021 and 2022 because funding is dried up so where's that money coming from where can we get the help to, that's necessary for those events to continue and how can we make sure that those tournaments are taken care of so the players can be provided with opportunities to make their prize money and i hope that that makes sense and i hope that somebody takes care of that now to your point about safety, I, I, I can say there's not a bubble right at the challenger level. There just can't there can't be the money, as I said, is dried up. So we, we can't just rent out an entire hotel and just do things back and forth. I can say I felt safe because of the fact that I took care of my own crap. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I did go have dinner with Noah. We sat outside with Michael Moe to do a podcast one time. And I, I felt like, you know, I took the proper necessary precautions to make sure I was safe so that my family would be safe. I can yeah. tell you that over these two weeks, the tournaments did everything that was entire, you know, everything that they could do within their means to make sure players were safe. They were constantly reminding them to put on masks. Uh, masks were required, mandatory tests beforehand, mandatory tests on site. You know, the temperature checks, uh, the the surveys, ultimately it comes down to, I think, to, you know, to be perfectly honest, it comes down to responsibility of oneself. Mm -hmm. Every one of those players has the ability to keep themselves safe because they're provided with the opportunity to take care of themselves, okay? Mm -hmm. So if, if any one of them just goes out and parties, technically they can because yeah. there's not, it's not locked down like it is at the, you know, U.S. Open. But I think most of the players that I witnessed, nobody was doing stupid things. Nobody was, you know, going out and being reckless. Um, so I felt safe because I knew I was being safe. 
Um, and I think that would be what I would say for the challengers and futures worldwide. You can, t you can take care of yourself. It's, but it's going to be on you a little bit more than it is at the highest levels. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I think for all of these players, yeah, it's, it's an honor system. It really yes. is. Hey, if we want this to work, it's got to be from top to bottom, from Correct. organizers to players. You can't it up because if you do right. everyone gets screwed and so Correct. i completely agree with you and i am hoping moving forward i know i speak for all of us tennis fans it was so great to have pro tennis back day for in sure. day out and just again i know the nakashima title got washed out because it was atp finals week but there should have been a whole segment of tennis twitter that was like see we told you he was going to come back and win titles and it was just great to have that i suppose confirmation to have tennis starting day in day out and of course as you mentioned these players ranked outside the top 100 this is their only chance to play right. events i mean you look at the rankings cutoffs for some of these challengers mike it's a joke like it's an yeah. absolute joke you have to be top 150 to guarantee a spot in the draw and like that's just not feasible right and then what happens to a player who's 250 does he really want to go play a 15k it's like nuno borges is like i'm getting boxed out i'm ready right. to play challengers i can go 36 and one over these past next two months and i can't move yep. in the rankings Right. Absolutely right. And the ranking system and how it's set up over the next couple of years is going to be another well, question. Oikovolts. Yeah. We... I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I, I will say this because um, I know you and I, we've talked for over an hour now. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I think there's this general idea of let's just make it past this, right? Like, okay, we're going to get to a vaccine eventually and everything will be fine. And I, I just can't, I can't say with any certainty that it will, mm -hmm. um, you know, and <laughs> we, there are so many people who have said to me that they weren't as captivated by challenger tennis over these last couple of weeks, because of the fact that it, it, it's been hard, we're all so tired mentally, we're all so weary. Um, and, and it's hard to have that same passion and emotion for challenger tennis um, when, when we're all just beaten down by what's happened over the last year. Um, so I, I, it, it's hard because I, we all want to see this, these things succeed and get back to that level of normalcy that we're, we're used to and, and enjoy challenger tennis for what it is. But I think it's going to be really, really hard to do unless we see some really um, progressive thinking from the top level down. Um, because these tournaments are going to be struggling, these players are going to be struggling, and I am hopeful that enough of them stick to it and stay safe and stay smart and stay focused on the task at hand because it's really hard to do when you don't have set goals that you can say, I'm definitely going to Australian Open qualies because we don't even know if that's happening for, for certain right now. So it's, it's really hard. So I hope the players stay focused on the task, and I hope as many fans as possible just – stay engaged right now in whatever way shape or form that is mm -hmm. no yeah I, I completely agree with you and i know i again speak for all of us tennis fans when i say it's not just great to see the players on court so many of us seriously are so used to hearing you calling a match day in day out on our streams and so again i know i speak for all of them when i say it is great it was great to have you back in our lives for these two weeks here carrie in orlando and i have to ask for those out there who for some reason if they're not listening to you know the coffee cast everything you guys you know are doing at behind the racket I, they're not following along how can they what are they gonna what should they expect these next few months over the off season that's a great question i don't have any flipping idea <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have, I have genuinely no idea what's going to happen over the next couple of months um noah's actually texting me right now 
as we're we're uh, talking here. But I, I mean, Noah's got his own thing that he's doing with the tour, uh, his behind the racket tour. Um, I have no idea what will happen with that. I wish him the you know I'm I, he's kept me updated quite a bit. Um, but yeah, what what happens with that? I don't really know. Um, in terms of what we're doing on the podcast, I, I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'd like to say we're going to talk to players, but I think we're kind of at this crossroads. We have we recorded about a an hour and forty five minute podcast that I still have yet to edit when we when he lost <laughs> in Orlando because it was emotional and frustrating and. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing in the next couple of months. That's, you know, that's the God's honest truth. I don't have any flipping idea what I'm going to be doing. Um, you know, I, 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 maybe I'm going to the U.S. or excuse me, the Australian Open. I hope so, but I, I don't know. You know, will the challengers be ready to go in at the first quarter? I don't, I don't know. We're, uh, you know, I mean, we're all. I, I appreciate everybody sticking with us though, and like I said, I know so many people are fatigued by everything and. It, it, you have Patreon supporters. We have Patreon supporters who are incredibly appreciative of and thankful for. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's just a matter of we're going to try to do the best that we can from a day-to-day basis. Be patient with us. Same with you, right? Yeah, no, a thousand percent. And I'm not going to give anything away. There was a call made to Noah. We had a very interesting preliminary discussion about something we would like to do this offseason. Yeah. I should say something I would like to do involving Noah. I don't know if he talked to you about that. Uh, but knock on wood, hopefully things allow it to happen. Hopefully, you know, this will not be the only time we speak with you this offseason, Mike, because obviously I know I speak for our listeners when it is always, I say it's always a pleasure to hear your voice. So of course, hope you stay safe, stay healthy. And as always, you know, there's a spot open for you on this show. Uh, I appreciate it, Gresky. You, um, you stay sexy, okay? <laughs> I do what I can. I'm on. I hey, know. I'm, I'm juicing that hair. I'm ready to go to Propecia. I mean, listen, I've got a mohawk right now. So I mean, <laughs> It's, it's a good it's a good look. My daughter loves it. Yes, well, speaking of which, tell your daughter and your cat I say hello. Uh, but of course, stay safe and healthy, Mike. You too, Grusky. Yep, take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Mike Cation. Of course, to hear more from Mike, go check out his podcast with Noah Rubin, the Behind the Racket Coffee Cast podcast. I don't know. It's a working title. They call it a bunch of different things. It's phenomenal, though. If you're listening to this, you're probably listening to that already. A fellow member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and of course, I am eternally grateful for the advice, for the kicks in the derriere I receive from Mike. There's no better mentor in the business one could ask for. And I don't know if he would consider me uh, me a mentee. Uh, I think I've just kind of attached myself to him, and I keep pestering him that eventually he sends me a response. But no, he has been so kind with his time, and uh, there's a reason he says, you know, is there anyone in the tennis world with a higher approval rating than Mike Cation? You're never going to come across the guy who says, you know who I don't like? Mike Cation. You'll find a different, oh, I love Mike. I love Mike. And sometimes I think that gets to his head. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, there's a reason. Mike's the best in the business. Always great to chat with.
with him about what's going on at the challenger level. And of course, again, we are going to have so many more conversations, not just breaking down the action we saw in 2020, but of course, forecasting what we expect to see in 2021 as we shift now towards our off-season content. I will just say quickly, since I said a lot of it at the top, if you have missed any of our action, you want to catch up on anything we are doing, go to the website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligger and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out of course as well to our friends at midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use the promo code cracked 15 but with that in mind for our for our wonderful guest mike cation our super producers fligner and westoff our friends at midwest sports and aerobar and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll see you all tomorrow thanks everyone Thank you.